Good evening. Uh, once you guys open your Bibles to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. We'll just uh, read the first part here and then uh, we'll pray. Verse 1, it says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people, You have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them, and bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but... As the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, just the encouragement of your scriptures. Lord, we thank you that it's not just uh, sweetness. Lord, but there's meat to what your word has for those who are called by your name, Lord. That there is uh, sustenance, there's nutrition, there, there is uh, the things that we need to grow, to live, to understand, Lord, in your word. And you've given your word to us, and we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, whom you sent to... Uh, dwell within each of your believers, Lord, and to illuminate your words as we uh, read, as we study, as we seek to apply these things to our hearts, to our lives, Lord. And we pray that you would do just that tonight. We ask this in your name. Amen. So as we've been following with Jeremiah here, um, like we looked at uh, last week, we see that uh, kind of the prophecies in Jeremiah have shifted from more a kind of more general overview of what's taking place in the Lord's judgment on the people of Judah and Jerusalem to more pointed prophecies about certain people who were responsible uh, for the conditions that Judah and Israel or uh, Jerusalem were in at this time. Not that the people were not responsible but they had leaders that the Lord had appointed to lead the people. 
We see that principle in scriptures. We see it even in the New Testament. The Bible talks about how the Lord raises up the rulers of the people, be they wicked or be they righteous leaders. The Lord raises them up. And uh, we see that, but even at the same time, that does not excuse the leaders who are wicked for their wicked doings. Um, and that's what we see here. Jesus or uh, Jeremiah here, he is prophesying and speaking of the leaders of the people. It says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Obviously, we see Jeremiah, he's using some picture um, in this prophecy, speaking of the shepherds. They were to be leaders of the people. If you've been to church any amount of time or read your Bible, you know that shepherds are, there's a picture of a leader over people. Um, it's not speaking literally of shepherds uh, with, you know, dirty, smelly sheep, but of leaders over people. And we see a principle that the Lord has given in the scriptures from the very beginning, that that is the way God has designed uh, men who are to lead the people um, in, in their attitudes and their methods and how they do it are to be as shepherds, not as harsh rulers who lord over the people, but as shepherds who lead, who care for, who tend, who watch. Uh, we see that with Joshua, Numbers 27, uh, the Lord says... Uh, tells Moses and the people to raise up. It says, uh, and speaking of Joshua, it says that uh, he may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, and that he would be a shepherd of the people for Joshua, who would take over after Moses. Uh, and that, again, is that picture. If you remember, um, it's probably uh, over a month ago now, when we watched that video on Jesus as the shepherd of our souls, and looked at that beautiful picture of the shepherd. But that's the same idea. A shepherd leads the sheep, goes out before them and goes in before them, making sure there's no dangers, leading them to where they need to go. That is what a leader of the people is supposed to be and how he's supposed to act. David, King David, he was called by the Lord to shepherd the people of Israel. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, um, verse 2, it says, You were the one who led Israel out and brought them in, speaking of him as, an, as a commander of the army, of the military. Um, and, and it says, And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. So David, the, the picture, the model of uh, a king in Israel was to be a shepherd over the people. And David, we know, he had the right uh, resume because he was raised as a shepherd, right? He took care of the sheep. And, and the Lord said, this is how you're supposed to deal with my people. And then in Psalm 78, it's speaking of David, says, So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. In 1 Chronicles 17, the judges of Israel were commanded by the Lord to shepherd the people. Uh, the Lord himself says, I commanded them to shepherd my people. So the, the uh, leaders, they were in the place of leading as shepherds. But Jeremiah here in chapter 23, he says they are shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of the Lord's pasture. They were unfaithful. They were called to lead, to protect, to guide, to go in and go out before them. But rather than doing that, they were destroying the sheep. 
scattering them. And so they were going to be held responsible. And that's what verse 2 says. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my people, you have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them. And he says, behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings. Jeremiah 10, verse 21, it speaks of the shepherds as becoming dull-hearted. Um, and that word in the Hebrew means brutish, like a dumb animal. Rather than being a leader, a wise shepherd who's guiding the flocks, they became just like another animal that were just driving the sheep away. It's like a very uh, hyper dog that gets into a sheepfold that's not a sheepdog and just is going after anything it can find and nip at it. I mean, we have uh, our dog Penny, and if we let her off the leash at the beach and there's a flock of birds or whatever, she's down the beach going right after them to scatter them. And that's that, that picture. It's worse here, obviously, but it's being brutish like a dumb animal is what the Lord had said about them in chapter 10. And in verse 23, we say they've scattered my flock and driven them away. Their goal, their, their responsibility was to, to keep the people together in the place where God had uh, called them to be, in his sheepfold, going out to the pasture he had prepared to them. And rather than doing that, they were just scattering them, driving them away, not caring for them. Turn with me to Zechariah. Keep your finger here. But Zechariah chapter 11. Just before Malachi, chapter 11, look at verse 15. So here we see the the wicked shepherds. We've looked at them, and we're going to look a little bit more at them later on in this. But uh, Israel would be dealing with wicked shepherds. Uh, But look at verse 4. Chapter 11, verse 4. Thus says the Lord my God, Feed the flock uh, for slaughter. I'm sorry, jump down to verse 15. That's uh, not the right part. Yeah, verse 15, it says, And the Lord said to me, Next, take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd. So Zechariah, he was doing a picture prophecy here for the people. And he was to take the implements of a shepherd, but not just a, a good shepherd, a foolish shepherd, it says. And it says, verse 16, For indeed... I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that still stand. But he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. Now we see Jeremiah, worthless shepherds. We see that. But here in Zechariah, this is prophesying of a worthless shepherd that is going to come upon the people of Israel. And it's speaking of the Antichrist that we will see rise up in the last days. But the Lord, he watches and he cares for his people. And he has responsibility over them and calls the men who are Uh, put in place to lead them to care for them and to watch over them 
and will hold accountable those who abuse his sheep. Uh, Look at verse 3. It says, but I will gather, back in Jeremiah, I'm sorry, uh, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds. So the sheep have been scattered, but the Lord here, he prophesies that he was going to bring the sheep back. And it says, and they shall be fruitful and increase. So even though they had wicked shepherds that were abusing the people, that were not being obedient to the Lord, and the people were going to be driven out, yet the Lord himself would bring them back and make them fruitful and increase. And then it says, verse 4, I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking. Jeremiah 3.15, the Lord says, I will give you shepherds according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So in place of these wicked shepherds, the Lord had in store for them shepherds who would be uh, after his own heart to feed them with knowledge and understanding. Jeremiah himself, he he viewed himself as a shepherd. uh, Chapter 17, verse 16 says, I have not hurried away from being a shepherd who follows you, speaking to the Lord. So we see they had wicked shepherds, and the wicked shepherds were leading them astray. We're abusing them. We're scattering them. We're destroying them. But the Lord would eventually provide for them. Because we see this in the church. We see the Lord raising up men to be leaders in the church. And these leaders being worthless shepherds. We see there's a... uh, I don't want to call it a pandemic. I shy away from that words now. Maybe an epidemic's a better word. But there's an epidemic of abuse in the church of men who were raised up into a position of leadership within churches and have abused that leadership and have abused the people and have destroyed and scattered the sheep. When shepherds are unfaithful, the people suffer. Um, And that's what we see. The people are stumbled. We have... Hillsong, I don't know if you guys have been watching Hillsong. Hillsong, you know, there were some issues with it that uh, if you were paying attention, you kind of caught early on years ago with Hillsong. But Hillsong, I know, like, when I was growing up in the, in the 90s, uh, it, they were known as being, you know, a movement of God and, and the Lord doing a lot of work there. And you had all the worship and the music that came out of there. But we see that now as things are coming out, there were issues with the the uh, father of uh, the Hillsong pastor who just stepped down. I can't remember his name, Brian. Um, but uh, his father has a, a lawsuit against him about sexual abuse of a minor uh, boy. Uh, and, and the Brian Houston, that's his name, the pastor Brian Houston has a lawsuit against him for the church and his ministry covering up all of this. Uh, we see w- what has taken place within the Catholic Church uh, of uh, abuse towards children. Uh, and we see that in all of these other churches. Think of Hillsong, New York. And uh, many of these, even, even, and I don't know the truth behind any of all of it, but even uh, 
uh, John MacArthur and Grace Church. There are things that, if the things are true, there's been some spiritual abuse there as well. Um, and the Lord holds men accountable. He gives men opportunity. Um, and, and by men, I mean men and women. Um, but we see the pastors in the church being held to a higher standard. Um, and many times there's this abuse that steps in. And the Lord, he will hold them accountable. But what do we see when this type of abuse and these things take place? We see the Lord being blasphemed, right? It reflects poorly on Christ, on him, on the church. It's not, I mean, we rightly say, well, that, that's one guy who did those things. And we look at him and, and we, we understand that and we judge the fruit of what he has done. But the world outside looks on and says, see, these Christians, they're hypocrites. They cover up these evil, wicked things. They're just using positions of power to, you know, gather to themselves people or for, for uh, their own gain. And then they just abuse them and do it in secret. And, and the people themselves, how many people leave a church after that and are stumbled in their walks with the Lord because of things that take place? You know, uh, we're not here in a room full of pastors, but each and every one of us has a place of responsibility that the Lord has put us in and holds us accountable over our homes, over our children, over our wives, over the things that the Lord has held us responsible to. And when we enter into sin, however secret or small it is, the people around us suffer. And it casts a poor light on Christ and on who he is. Thankfully, there's grace with him, but we need to look and consider ourselves. And we need to be so very careful, number one, that we're not putting on a pedestal any man, any woman, uh, because then we will be the sheep that are scattered because there's sin in men, sin in people, right? But at the same time, we need to be not easily led astray by these foolish, worthless shepherds. And, and the only remedy for that or, or inoculation against that is the word of God and his spirit being in it. And when we're in that, then we have the, the anchor of God's word. Um, you know, I was thinking about it today while I was driving home from work, and uh, I used to think of my Bible, the Word of God, as something for me to hang on to, to kind of be a handhold, something to keep me steady and keep me grounded. Um, but several years ago, not with COVID, but other things going on, um, the Lord himself really did a work in my heart and my understanding to kind of knock me off my feet, so to say, in pride of my understanding about the world around me and the things that I saw, um, and how I think thought that I kind of had everything together in, in this is how the world works. Um, and uh, at that moment, I realized that uh, the word of God I had held kind of at an arm's length. Not that I hadn't, I didn't believe the scriptures or any of these things, but in my position, thinking of it as just something to kind of hang on to, uh, my feet weren't grounded. And as those things were ripped out from under me, I felt like I was just kind of falling. 
Um, and uh, then I began to realize that the word doesn't need, shouldn't be something that we hang on to, but what we stand upon as a foundation. And when we stand upon the foundation of the word of God, then it doesn't matter if everything's shifting around us. We're rooted. We're grounded. And that's how we need to be. The Lord raises up men, raises up women to lead, to have ministries, to, to be influential in the church for good purposes. But each and every one of us is responsible for our own salvation, for our own walk with the Lord. And when we rely on men and women, we're easily led astray. We rely on the Lord. And that's what we see. The people, they were following worthless shepherds, and they were scattered. They were destroyed. The Lord was, is faithful and gracious and would go after them and bring them back. But still, they were destroyed and scattered because they had followed. And the Lord himself, though, he's, it says, I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more. The Lord would provide good shepherds. Near application of Bible prophecy here, we see the people, they had Zedekiah, the wicked king. They had um, men like Pashur in the temple who beat and contradicted Jeremiah. You have the prophets that we're going to read about. You have the other kings, Jeconiah, and um, all the kings that came before that were wicked, and the other prophets that, that uh, uh, contradicted and opposed Jeremiah that they were dealing with these shepherds who were destroying and scattering the sheep of Israel at this time. And the near application is that the Lord would bring them back. We see 70 years elsewhere, 70 years prophecy that they would go into judgment in Babylon and the Lord would bring them back. And what we see as we look at the near um, history of Israel after going to Babylon, you see the Lord raising up men who are good shepherds over them. You see Zerubbabel and Joshua the priest that you read about in uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. You see Ezra and you see Nehemiah as well, who were good shepherds, who cared for. Think of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a good shepherd over his people because he identified with the sins of the people. He prayed for them. He cared for their homeland. Remember, he was in Babylon and cupbearer of the king. And he heard how uh, things weren't going so well back where the remnant had returned um, and the temple uh, or the walls of the city of Jerusalem had not been rebuilt and, and were just pretty much abandoned. And Nehemiah had the Lord uh, lay on his heart to go there. And he stepped in faith out from Babylon and went to Jerusalem um, and led the people there. And the leading that wasn't an easy thing, remember? They were building in times of war and trouble. He had constant opposition against him. Uh, Sanballat and the others who were constantly um, trying to make it seem like he was rebellious against the king of Babylon um, and, and were constantly accusing them. They had to build the wall with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. Um, and, and then even after they accomplish the building of the walls, as he go, leaves, goes to Babylon and then comes back, what does he see? He sees the people 
they had this wall built and everything, and they had the temple rebuilt, but then they started to go right back to wicked ways in, in uh, marrying foreign women who worshipped false gods again. And what does he do? He comes in and he rips out their beards and slaps them in the face and tells them, put away those women who are worshiping false gods. They're going to lead you right astray just like it was before you went into captivity in Babylon. And, and that is the picture of a good shepherd. A shepherd he cared for, he, he wept over them, he led them, he worked alongside them, and he also corrected them, rebuked them, exhorted them. That's a good shepherd. And that's how the Lord wants to deal with his people and will raise up good shepherds. Ultimately, Jesus is the good shepherd, right? We know that. We saw that. John 10, um, the Lord says, I am the shepherd of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. Uh, Ezekiel 34 prophesies that God would shepherd his own people. He would become the shepherd. Jesus made elders of the church as shepherds as well. Um, Ultimately, because of the time frame that we see, we had the near application of these men after the restoration of the people in Babylon or from Babylon coming back to Jerusalem. But ultimately, we see the fulfillment in, in uh, the disciples of Jesus with uh, being shepherds who lead them and shepherd over them in the millennial kingdom. Matthew 19 Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He says, Luke 22, 30, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. We see this, the Lord raising up good shepherds over the people. Ultimately, like I said, it's Jesus who is the good shepherd. But then he goes in, verse 5, look at it. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. So here we see this prophecy of a branch of righteousness. It says, I will raise to David this branch of of righteousness. Now a branch, if you're a student of the scriptures, you'll notice that we see this picture, this prophecy over and over again throughout scriptures of a branch being raised up and how this is a title of the Messiah, of Jesus, who would ultimately fulfill this prophecy, the branch of righteousness. David, remember, he was the, had a, a promise to him that his descendants would sit on the throne. But what did we see? We saw that because of uh, the wickedness of the kings and David's descendants, uh, chapter 22, verse 30, it says, None of his descendants shall prosper, sitting on the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. So there was this, this cutting off of the family tree of David at that point. And yet here, the Lord, he says, but I'm going to provide Away, There's going to be a branch of righteousness from David, who would be the Messiah, the king, who would reign and prosper. Um, and he would execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. You know, um, I didn't know this until I was studying this portion of scripture, 
But the early church actually looked at the prophecies about the branch that we see throughout scriptures and related each one of these to um, how the gospels picture Jesus in his ministry and, and who he was. Um, and here, this one in Jeremiah 22, it says, is a branch of righteousness, a king. So we have here uh, Jesus as the king of Israel. What does Matthew, the gospel writer, emphasize in his gospel is the kingly nature of Jesus, Jesus being the king of Israel. His genealogy is in there. Um, the emphasis is upon him as king of Israel. Zechariah 3 talks about Jesus, or talks about um, my servant, the branch. Again, we see in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is pictured as a humble and lowly servant. In Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12, it says, the man whose name is the branch. Who do we have pictured in the Gospel of Luke? Jesus, the Son of Man. And in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2, uh, through 6, it speaks of the branch of the Lord, or Yahweh. And that goes right along with the Gospel of John, which emphasizes Jesus as the Son of God and His deity. There's a beautiful fourfold picture that we see throughout Scriptures. You guys, the Scriptures, uh, we talk about all the time, but it all relates together. There's these threads that go throughout Scriptures that tie together. And we have to be uh, students of the word and, and digging these out and looking for these things. Um, it's a, a beautiful picture. But here for Israel, we see for Judah and Jerusalem, the Lord, he's going to raise to David a branch of righteousness. The kings, the line of David had been wicked, evil shepherds. And they were... Uh, not branches of righteousness, but branches of wickedness. And the Lord had cut them off. And yet the Lord would raise to David a branch of righteousness in Jesus. And he would be a king who shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. This is a prophecy of Jesus in his second coming as the king over the earth. But it's not just the second coming, it's a prophecy of his first coming as well. In his days, Judah will be saved. It talks about the salvation that he will bring. Um, and it talks about him and his righteousness. And it says, in Israel will dwell safely. Again, this is, that goes back to being a picture of uh, the millennial kingdom, when Israel will dwell safely in the land, and no longer to be that cup of trembling among the nations where all the nations hate Israel and turn against it. And it says, Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness, or Yahweh Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. And that's uh, the, the ministry that Jesus has had. You guys, it's easy for us to, to look at our walk and our salvation as being about we're saved now, and now God wants us to be holy, righteous people. And it, then uh, we are saved by faith, by the grace of the Lord, not of works, right? It's fr the, his free gift that he's given us. We don't earn it. 
It's the work of his that he accomplished on the cross. What we do to receive it is to simply place our faith in him and believe him for the works that he's done. But then we turn around and then we try to live our lives as Christians under this rules and regulations and legalism and uh, and seeking to please God in our duties, in our actions, in our own strength without an understanding that it's not our righteousness for salvation. It's also not our righteousness as we walk and live in our salvation. He is the Lord, our righteousness. Romans talks about that, how the people of Israel, they, they were ignorant of God's righteousness, thinking that they could attain to righteousness through the law, through the keeping of the law. That's what we see Jesus dealing with with the Pharisees and the scribes and the people of his day, is that they thought that if they could keep the law down to the tiniest jot and tittle, straining the gnat out of their drink so they didn't eat a dead thing, making sure they didn't spit on the ground on the Sabbath day and plow a furrow, furrow um, all of these things. Even now, Orthodox Jews in Israel who won't push a button on an elevator because it is starting a fire by that little spark that takes place. And uh, they think that they can attain to righteousness or attain to salvation by their own righteousness. God says they're ignorant of my righteousness. We need to be aware that our righteousness will never and can ever match up to the Lord's. His standard is (laughs) he's God. How else do you put it? He's God and we're fallen men and women. The only way we attain to righteousness is through him. The only way we walk in righteousness is through him. He's given us his spirit, the power that he provides to to teach us how to walk and to live out our faith. It's a, a walk of faith, believing in him, walking with him, and recognizing that he is our righteousness. He paid the price for us. He provides the way. He's the one that teaches us how to be obedient to him. He's the good shepherd who leads us where we should go and to follow him in that way. And when we have that understanding of his righteousness, then we have the humility that the Lord says we're supposed to have. Then we have the care and attentiveness to our own walks that we're supposed to have as Christians because we're understanding it's what he's done for us. And that if I'm allowed my own devices and to go my own way, then I'm going to be going astray, the foolish sheep that wanders off from the shepherd. But we're called to follow him. And this was the branch, Jesus, who would be raised up. Revelation 22, verse 16, Jesus himself says, I am the root and the offspring of David. He's not only the branch, but the root, right? This also reminds me of John, where Jesus says, I am uh, the vine and you are the branches, Right? It's a little bit of a twist on this whole picture, but um, that is the same thing that we have here. The Lord is our righteousness. Jesus is the branch if we abide in him, attached to that branch, or him as the vine and we're attached to him as a branch. Then his righteousness is the, the sap that permeates us, that produces the good fruit, that provides for our growth, that sustains us. It's him. It's all about him. And without him... We fall and die. And that's what we have with Jesus. 
Verse 7, it says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, As the Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up the, and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Now this, again, we have partial fulfillment in the restoration of Israel after the 70 years of captivity in Babylon. But notice what it says. It says, uh, As the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country, Babylon, and from all the countries where I had driven them. Do you notice that? When were they scattered to all of these other countries that they were driven out to? It was after the time of Jesus when Jerusalem was judged for rejecting him and the people of Israel were scattered again as Jesus prophesied they would be. And what do we see? May 14th, 1948, we see the Lord, the good shepherd, beginning to gather his flock back into the land in fulfillment of this. You guys, as I was studying this and looking at this, um, what really jumped out for me here was what is being prophesied here. We see prophecy of Jesus in his first coming, the salvation that he provides, him being the Lord, our righteousness, that that was accomplished in his first coming, right? As he paid the price for our sins on the cross. Um, And in his atoning sacrifice and the resurrection that takes place, he now uh, is in our place in God's eyes. And his righteousness is now ours. That's a prophecy of his first coming. We in the church, we celebrate his first coming. We have Easter every year, right? We sing songs about the work he's done on the cross. We celebrate him. We we understand the prophecies that we see in Daniel and in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, speaking of the suffering Messiah. In the Psalms that talk about the suffering Messiah in these prophecies throughout the scriptures. And and we're so familiar with them because we look back and we say, these have been fulfilled to a T. But what so often can be neglected within the church is to say, look and see, these prophecies of the first coming are tied to a second coming. And if he fulfilled the first coming to a T, literally, exactly, I think more literally than anyone ever expected, how much more so is it going to be with the second coming? But we don't stop there. We continue on because what else is always also tied in with these prophecies? Israel restored and a king over them. That's Jesus' second coming. Him as king over Israel. The church has gotten so far off of that. Thankfully, we're in a church here that teaches uh, about uh, the Lord's future plans for Israel. That Israel has not been permanently cut off and set aside and the Lord has abandoned them forever. Uh, But there are so many churches that teach replacement theology. The church has replaced Israel. That teach dominion theology that now uh, we are the Israel of God and we have to set up the kingdom of God here and now on the earth. That, That teach these things. And yet, when you look at it, Isaiah 52 You know what it talks about in Isaiah 52? The Lord restoring Israel to the land. Isaiah 53 then 
is the prophecy of him as a suffering servant. 54, 55, the second coming. Daniel talks about Jesus, the suffering Messiah, talks about him. But what else is prophesied in there? His second coming and the return of Israel, the restoration of Israel. Uh, you see that in the Psalms. You see that throughout the prophets and the scriptures. Those three things are all tied together intrinsically. Because ultimately, and it seems so simple, but we can gloss over it, Jesus is the Messiah, King of Israel, right? He's not just Christ of the church. He's the Messiah, King of Israel. In the fulfillment of those prophecies, all of these things are all intrinsically tied together. And we need to be so careful that we're not picking and pulling and separating out. We need to be aware that we as the people of God have been grafted in, right? right? Remember Romans, we've been grafted in as the Gentiles. But there's going to be a future restoration of the people of Israel. And that's what Jeremiah is prophesying here. We have the beautiful picture of the branch of Jesus. Um, and we have the prophecy of him ruling as king and the rest restoration of Israel in the land. And that's beautiful. It's all tied together. So then we move on to verse 9. Well, I took a long time on that. But verse 9, look, it says, My heart within me is broken. So now we shift to Jeremiah and what he sees. He says, Because of the prophets, all my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man and like a man whom wine has overcome because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. For because of a curse, the land mourns. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. Their course of life is evil and their might is not right. Jeremiah had prophesied against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel, had prophesied against them. But what do we see? The, the, the condition of the land, the sin. We've looked at, in Jeremiah before, we've looked at the, the idolatry and, and the murdering of the infant children as they worship false gods. Um, and, and the wickedness that, that took place in Judah and Jerusalem. But I think it's very interesting, verse 10, that the sin that is pointed out here is that the land is full of adulterers. The sin that is taken so lightly nowadays in our culture, our society, even in the church, is adultery. But the Lord looks on and he sees there's no one who's faithful in even these basic covenants that are to be for love towards one another. Even in these basic things, the land is full of adultery and it's polluted the land. There's all of these other things that we shy away and we say are so wicked and so evil. Murdering children, worshiping false gods, committing sexual fornication with temple prostitutes and these other things that took place in worship of these false gods. But the Lord looks on and says, the land's full of adulterers, the unfaithful people just to one another. Adultery, we know in the scriptures, what did Jesus say? If you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, it's, you've committed adultery already. In the church, again, it ties back to these wicked and foolish shepherds. Many of the things that we see of abuse that are coming out about men in the church are, are tied in with adultery and not just adultery of a, a, a man 
having sex with a woman who is not his wife, but adultery in fornication, in uh, pornography, in giving themselves over to sexual sin. And, and many times that is the sin that has caused the downfall. And then the covering up leads to the continuous abuse within the church and within these, uh, with these people, these men. The land is full of adulterers, the Lord says. And it was affecting the whole land. We, again, we as Christians, we need to understand that judgment begins with the house of God first, right? The scriptures are clear. We need to be a people who are holy, who are set apart for the Lord. We need to call sin, sin. We not, need to not play fast and loose with our walks with the Lord. We need to not toy around with the things of, of the world. If you're struggling with pornography, maybe not even saying struggling, if you're sinning in pornography, with pornography, you need to get rid of your phone. You need to cancel the internet service at your house. You need to not put yourself in those positions where you're opening the door for those things. If it's flirting with someone at work or at school or that you see, you need to uh, hold yourself accountable. Take yourself out of that position, out of that circumstance. You need to consider that these things are the open door to sin. Uh, I mean, when we look at the scriptures, what do we see open the door to idolatry for Israel? It was the sin that Balaam caused the children of Israel to commit. was Foreign women who worship false gods came in and seduced them to commit adultery and fornication. And then they were led astray into idolatry. You see that with uh, over and over again. It was sexual sin that opened the door to f idol worship. All of these things. And uh, I think it's the same in the church and in our culture and society. We need to be holy people. The Lord is gracious. The Lord loves us. There, there is grace and forgiveness, but the Lord also looks on and he sees and he, and he knows. If you've placed your faith in Christ, he, he has forgiven you and washed you and set you free from those things. But at the same time, we see throughout the scriptures that there is still judgment within the house of God. There's consequences for sin. There are things that are lost. There are the people that are scattered and destroyed when sin is allowed in. We need to be a holy people. And again, that's through him, through what he's done for us, walking with him. If you're in sin, repent, confess, turn around, cut those things off. Like Jesus says, cut your hand off, gouge your eye out. Not literally, right? But do what it takes to get out of that situation and fall upon the grace of the Lord. And when you fall upon his grace, there's restoration and there's the strength to move on. If it's a stumbling thing where you've been walking and you've been in victory and then you stumble and fall, the Bible says a righteous man gets up again. Repent, move on from it. Don't stay down and be condemned, but get up and move on. But that's what the Lord has called for us. As believers, walk with him. 
It says, for because of a curse, the land mourns. Verse 10, still here. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. And it says, their course of life is evil and their might is not right. So this adultery had led to this, where every aspect of their lives were evil. Just the way they lived was evil. It wasn't just one small thing. It was day in, day out. Every thought, the imaginations of their heart were only evil continually, right? We've heard that before in the scriptures. We see that. Their course of life is evil. And their might is not right. Their mighty works, even the things that they rejoice in that they've done, are wicked and evil. The best things that they are doing are wicked and evil. And then verse 11, it says, For prophet and priest are profane. These men who were called to speak the word of the Lord and to be intercessors for the people were profane. They weren't holy. They were doing wickedly. It says, Yes, in my house I have found their wickedness. Remember, they had set up altars to false gods in the temple. And they said, We're good. We're the people of the Lord. The Lord will protect us. Don't worry about judgment coming. We're fine. And yet the Lord says, You're profane. I found your wickedness. You're not hiding it from me. I found it. Verse 12, he says, Therefore their ways shall be slippery to them, or shall be to them like slippery ways. In the darkness they shall be driven on and fallen them, like slipping down a slope in a cave and falling into a pool. It says, For I will bring disaster on them in the year of their judgment, or the year of their judgment, punishment, says the Lord. And I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They've prophesied by Baal and caused my people Israel to err. Also, I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. So it wasn't just Israel, um, which was Samaria. That's the picture there, the northern tribes. But we see it in Jerusalem as well. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns back from his wickedness. All of them are like Sodom to me, and her inhabitants are like Gomorrah. This is, again, the state of the culture and the world that we live in. We see this uh, in the church. The sexual sin, the walking in lies... But we also see the church compromising with the world. Just this week, Church of England, what did they do? They voted on whether they should bless same-sex unions. I'm not going to call it marriage. Same-sex unions. And they said, we're going to do that. We're going to bless same-sex unions in the Church of England. At the same time, They're going to vote on whether they should remove any gender pronouns about God. They commit adultery and walk in lies, it says. Also, strengthen the hands of evildoers. We as a church are called to be salt and light. The Church of England is doing no injustice by compromising on the truth of the Scripture and on the righteousness and holy standards of the Lord and what he's called as truth, rather than rebuking, rather than convicting, rather than standing up and not compromising, they're strengthening the hands of evildoers, it says. When the church compromises, 
when the people of God compromise, they're strengthening the hands of evildoers, it says, so that no one turns back from his wickedness. That's what the Lord wants, people to turn back from their wickedness. But when the church compromises, rather than that, it's, oh, continue on, you're fine. You're good, just like the prophets were doing to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. You're fine. It's okay. Keep going. You're fine. But judgment was coming. And that's the same thing we see. We as the church, we need to not compromise. We need to be standing upon the truth of God and walking in the truth. The people who are called by his name, called to be Israel, ruled of God, a prince with God, his people, uh, Judah, praise. He says, now they're like Sodom to me and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. Sodom means a burning place and Gomorrah means submerged. Rather than being this Mount Zion lifted up to be a light to the world, they were just a place of burning that's submerged underwater. Both pictures of judgment, right? Fire and submersion in water. The Lord says this is Israel. This is what's going to happen. And then he continues to judge. We don't have time to finish. Um, you guys, I apologize for not getting through so far here. But, you know, with the return of the people of Israel, that's a sure prophecy that we have. That we, it's obviously quite a bit before my time when it began to take place in 1948, the fulfillment of that prophecy. But, uh, let me read this quote here. In a conversation about religion, you may have heard it before, Frederick II was king of Prussia. This was from 1740 to 1786, so 200 so years prior to Israel being restored. says he asked Hans uh, Joachim von Zieten, a cavalry general whom he esteemed highly as a Christian for his plain and uncompromised views, give me proof for the truth of the Bible in two words, to which Zetan replied, Your Majesty, the Jews. And that was his reply. You guys, that's what we've seen in our day. The Jews have been restored into the land. Now, we haven't seen the full fulfillment of what we see in Ezekiel, where we see the Lord putting his spirit in them. But that's coming. But we've seen the things leading up to that, the dry bones being gathered uh, again. And we see that prophecy being fulfilled, uh, I mean, beautifully, perfectly. Israel, a, a nation that had not been a nation for thousands of years, kept their language, kept their religion, kept their scriptures, kept their identity as a people. And they were birthed in a day, just like elsewhere in the scriptures prophesy. And if that's fulfilled, if the prophecies of Jesus in his first coming were fulfilled the way they were, then the things we look at for future, they're going to be fulfilled. We're seeing unprecedented things happening right now, you guys. Um, this whole thing with the UFOs stuff that's going on around or the balloons, whatever you think about them, people say <clears throat> that they're, I say UFOs not as aliens, but classic sense of the term, unidentified flying objects. But... Um, you guys, there's a, there's a deception that I believe may be taking place very soon. Um, we see uh, many of uh, Bible teachers looking very closely at this. 
um, because if there is a deception on this magnitude across the world of some sort of quote-unquote alien invasion taking place, um, what is the world going to do? They're going to rally together. They're going to want to establish a, a one-world government. They're going to want to put in place protections for them, whatever else it's going to take place for these things to happen. We have, even from the writings of uh, New Agers and, and um, abductees who have their, their stories that they've talked about, things that they have been told by these entities who I believe are demonic entities, but have been told things to completely uh, justify and do away with and deal with the rapture of the church, um, where from their own mouths they've talked about it as it being uh, something that the people on, who are left on the earth don't need to worry about. They don't need to be concerned with them to deal with those things. Uh, you guys, there's great deception. That's what Jesus talked about, deception coming. Uh, false prophets. This is tied in, like I read in Zechariah, to the foolish shepherd who would come, the Antichrist. The Bible says deception will be rampant. We don't know, I believe, and I, I full with completely that the rapture of the church is going to take place before the tribulation, the seven-year great tribulation. But we don't know what leads up to that at this point. We've seen the last three years, the deception that has taken place over COVID, over the vaccine, uh, what's going on in the world around us, the, the politics, uh, the, the uh, agendas with euthanasia. We we're talking about this in our men's meeting uh, last week um, that are going on where we have in our own nation uh, now death panels that have been set up where these death panels will decide whether or not you are a useful citizen, uh, you know, contributing to society. Uh, if you are sick and on your deathbed um, and you have no prospects, then they can decide you're done, basically. Uh, that's the slippery slope that Canada's on with their uh, medical assistance in dying that they have going on. This is now it's easier for the healthcare industry to provide assisted suicide than it is to care for people. Uh, and uh, we have in our own nation now too, because of the COVID emergency that has been put in place, uh, hospitals are no longer required to have a person who either has power of attorney or the right to choose so to say this person has a do not resuscitate order on them. Now the doctors and the hospitals can and are doing that with people. There's testimonies of parents where their Down's children, uh, uh, Down's syndrome children got COVID, were hospitalized, and the doctor against the parents' Wishes without their knowing at the time put do not resuscitate order on their daughter and she died in the hospital. And it's not just one isolated case. You guys, there's deception all around. I don't say any of that to scare you, but there's deception all around. The remedy that we have, we already have with us. The Spirit of God comforts us. Gives us peace. Speaks to the truth of the word of God. Judgment is coming.
judgment on the earth, but judgment on wickedness as well. The Lord sees and the Lord knows. We've seen that over and over again in Jeremiah and the prophets, Malachi, that we've looked at recently. The Lord sees, the Lord knows. The Lord sees, the Lord knows. The Lord is righteous. He's the branch. The world is bitter. What do we have? What's the other picture we have in the scripture of the branch? Exodus 15, people of Israel, they've left Egypt. They just passed through the Red Sea. The Lord protected them. Remember, walled up the waters on either side of them, and they passed through on dry land. Beautiful miracle. Pillar of uh, cloud by day and fire by night. Uh, Pharaoh and his army destroyed, and now they're in the wilderness of Shur. And while they're in the wilderness of Shur, they begin to complain because they have no water, right? And they come to a pool. The pool's called Mara. Bitterness. Can't drink it. It's poisonous. And what does the Lord say? See that tree over there? Cut it down. Cast it into the pool of water. And the bitter water will become sweet. That's what Christ has done. He's the branch cast into the bitter waters. What he's done for us. We can walk in this world without fear because of what he's done. Now, we need to take care. We need to take heed. We need to be aware of what's going on. We need to share the gospel with people around us. Things are getting crazy. You have the train stuff in Ohio. You have the semi-trailer flipped over in Tucson, these environmental things that who knows, maybe that's going to be the next big thing that's going to happen is the environmental concerns over this. You have Marburg virus that people are talking about now, um, which is a horrific thing, but who knows if it's even a real thing. But we have all of these things building up to just more and more deceptions that are going to take place. And we are called to be people of the word of God. And being people of the word, then we can not be led astray, not be deceived. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for the people here. I pray that we would truly be people of your word, Lord. That we wouldn't just nod our heads in agreement. We wouldn't just walk away with our Bible in hand and put it in our car until next Bible study, put it on the shelf or in our purse or in our backpack until next time we're at church, but that we would cherish your word, Lord, that we would love your word like Psalm 119 says, sweeter than honeycomb for us, Lord, that it would be our daily bread, food for us, uh, the milk of the word, the meat of the word, Lord, that we would be a people who grow in what you've given to us, Lord. And that this would be what we rely on for truth. The world is that shifting ground that I felt, Lord. Uh, and, and it's that way, I think, for many of us with the things of the past few years. Things we th thought were so sure are not sure anymore, Lord. Everything's shifting around us. But if we stand upon your word, we have this true, firm foundation of who you are and what you've done for us. And Lord, I pray that we would just rest in that. In your name, amen. amen. All right, sorry I went long.